Welcome to Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Carezzi. election news going on, you'd think there'd be a, like a reboot of We Are, we Are the World, because it'd have like Billie Eilish, or Kendrick Lamar, or Tyler, the creator, or whoever, and then there'd be like BLM and pride flags around the studio, but anyway, this is where I'll be telling improvised horror stories got some horror stories in a hat. I only have the titles and I'll be improvising improvising the stories from there. Alright, this first story is called Hair Tourette's Syndrome. people have bad hair days. But when I was at the age of five, I had a peculiar diagnosis. I was diagnosed with hair Tourette syndrome. types of hair can get out of whack throughout the day, or when you wake up and whatnot. But with hair Tourette syndrome, it happens far more sporadically. At any given moment, it can just flump out like someone rubbed a balloon on it. went to the beach and the humidity fucked with it. They didn't tell me it was a lethal condition, but they did give me medication for it. didn't do much, it only 
made my hair look like, you know, I was like I was having a bad hair day. That kind of progressed throughout the day. When I was in high school, I get jokes about it, like, oh, hey, Stacy, don't you ever comb your hair? And I'm just like, uh, I try, you know. Some people compared my hair to a lion's mane. Which I wouldn't take as a compliment, because at the time I was very insecure about the frizziness of my hair. And when I became an adult, you know, I cut back on the medication, just let my hair do its thing. But then I entered the world of professionalism, and then I went back to the medication. despise the side effects of hair Tourette syndrome medication. It made me uh, groggy or delirious. It would make me talk to myself uh, sporadically. I'd be just be thinking a string of thoughts and then I'll suddenly answer myself out of nowhere. heard me, it'd only be, they'd only be hearing pieces of a conversation. See, most people talk themselves. If you listen to what they say, they're never talking to themselves. They're always talking to something else, or someone else. time I just thought my medication was making me delirious. So I'd have stints on and stints off it. Often I'd just wear a lot of hats. At one point I shaved my whole head, which I tried once, but it didn't feel right and didn't feel like something I could do regularly. Despite my hair's sporadic nature, I sure did love it. My mother also enjoyed uh, that someone else had it was a curly redhead in the family. To her, it was like I, I was upholding a tradition. That's not how I felt about it. To me, it felt more like a burden. Tourette syndrome was common in my family. I only knew of my grandmother who had hair Tourette syndrome. She had very sporadic hair. She would always tie it in a bun very tightly, very neatly. And I've never seen her hair in action. But still, I considered my hair an extension of myself. So even when it was acting out, I held it with pride, or at least I tried to. And like I mentioned earlier, uh, hair Tourette syndrome 
They didn't tell me it was lethal. And I didn't really expect it to be. And they also warned me that, that if I take my medication, I should always wean off it. You know, I should never just stop all at once. Mainly because the side effects of that could be very drastic. something I, was, I would never forget. It was when I went through a really bad breakup and lost my job around the same time. Sure, I had a nest egg that I could live off of for a couple months. And overall, the relationship was pretty toxic anyway. So we were certainly better off without each other. But even still, those two major blows that happened at the same time. And I just moved into a new apartment a few weeks earlier. So three major changes happening at one time will make you do drastic things. thing I did was I stopped taking my hair Tourette syndrome medication I did it all at once uh, I just chucked the whole bottle and dumped it uh, down the drain time it felt very heroic, you know, like the way an alcoholic dumps all their, all their liquor down the drain in a moment of clarity and a commitment to change. But me, I was just acting on an anxious impulse. There's a lot of stress and anxiety with uh, those three big changes happening at once. felt the medication was grogging me down, uh, stopping me from processing it properly. Which is a bit perverse if I say it out loud. Just to think I tossed the medication just so I could feel the pain more. But again, it's not that I, nothing wrong with not wanting to take the medication, but I should have been smarter about it. the medication, uh, when I was taking it, it would make me very groggy and I'd sleep a lot. But the week after I dumped it, I'd spend long periods of being groggy and sleepy, and then suddenly longer periods just being awake and manic. Thank you. 
pretty much it would be, you know, 20 hours awake, 20 hours sleeping. More like 40 hours awake, 20 hours sleeping. Sounds about right. All those days blended together. So it was really hard to keep tabs on my day. It was hard to fill those days too, because I didn't have anyone to spend time with or a job to go to or anything. So I'd rather spend uh, long periods of time in my apartment just fucking around on the internet or something. Or if we're going for long walks and wandering around. Sometimes I'd get lost or just uh, lose my memory of which way I walked. And then I have to retrace my steps and check the map on my phone or whatever to find my way back. A lot of days just kind of bled out that way. Just a lack of memory. trying to sleep, but it was, it was one of, it was one of my, uh, awake stints. And I was kind of muttering to myself. And in a low mutter, I just said, oh, what the fuck are you gonna do? And then I shouted, like, I don't know, I don't know. My thoughts started to compartmentalize into two voices. The one voice was, uh, me specifically. The other voice was more of a soundboard, you know, more of a question and answer kind of thing. Just splitting my head into a binary just for the sake of processing. At one point I tried to go grocery shopping. Uh, my hair flumped up, and then I had a thought from the uh, soundboard voice that just said, don't go in, they'll see us. And I read that voice as myself, so I kind of freaked out, and I just like hid behind a trash can or something, and then quickly uh, jostled back to my apartment. And I thought, I'll go shopping tomorrow, I'll go shopping tomorrow. I tried really hard to sleep. I just tried to think about nothing. But what ended up happening was my hair was flumped up and really staticky, almost to the point of an afro, and all I could hear was static. Whether it was radio static or television static, it didn't really make a difference. Just this constant fuzzy buzz. I didn't have any room for my own thoughts.
Eventually, I woke up two days later. It was early morning. Often, I would only... I'd sleep in until like 6 o'clock in the afternoon. And then start my day from there. But at that point, you know, I woke up at around dawn, so I thought, oh, maybe I can get things done today, you know? Maybe I can reach out to old friends, maybe I can search for jobs or whatever. Yeah, this will be great. I go shopping and all that, I still have to do that. to my fridge, it uh, looked like there's already stuff in my fridge. Simple things, just uh, some bread, milk, ketchup, a block of cheese. And I looked in and I thought, oh, it's, I guess I already did my shopping or whatever. Huh, it's so weird, I don't remember. And then my soundboard voice went off and just went, oh yeah, no, we went shopping. And I was like, yeah, okay, good, good. It's funny, at the time I didn't even register that the other voice said we. That should have been my first clue, but didn't even consider it. So I laid around all that day and as I spent that day in my apartment, I noticed in my bath in my bathroom there was all this display of hair gels, shampoo products. It's like I blew my whole grocery budget just on hair care stuff. I thought it was really peculiar because. Some of these gels I've tried before, but nothing would ever work on my staticky hair. Eventually I gave up on it, save for the medication. When I was in the bathroom, I was looking at this one bottle. It was for hair, and all it said was just, like, protein cream. And all the instructions, all they said was, rub and scalp to feed hair. I didn't really know what that meant at the time. Until I could hear my soundboard voice just say, Put it in, rub it in. I didn't think much of it, I thought I was thinking it. Just as like, oh yeah, I gotta put this in my hair. Spent the next two hours on it, rubbing into my scalp and letting my hair absorb uh, the cream. Just to rather my hair, lather my hair, the rhythm of it. 
never really spent much time uh, with extensive hair care, but this time it was pretty soothing, you know. Getting, I was getting lost into the beat. Eventually it tired me out and I just uh, went to sleep again. somewhere downtown. I was at one table with a, an empty seat across from me and a half-eaten meal. I looked around. I've never been there before. Frankly, it looked like it was out of my price range. this dude came in. Uh, he sat at the table across from me. I started to freak out. When I freak out, I touched my hair, but when I did it this time, I could feel a thick coating of gel uh, taming my hair. Now, when I've used gels on my hair in the past, it would never work. Even like the old 50s kind of you know, greaser hair gel, or like the kind of 80s industrial hairspray, you know. None of that would ever work, but somehow my hair was being tame. And the dude sitting in front of me was just like, oh, Meg, are you, you okay? You, you look really upset about something. Stacy. And the dude just like looked at me puzzled and was just like, uh, I don't understand, you know. Is that the name you're going by now? I mean, we've been we've been dating for about a month and a half, so Yeah, so what's going on? And I was just like month and a half. I started to freak out a little bit and I just said, I have to go and I rushed out of the restaurant. Started strutting down the sidewalk. It was a real, like, a uh, party nightlife area, and I started to freak out, like, how'd I get here? And then I could hear my soundboard voice just say, You're blowing it, you're blowing it, get back in there. And I was just like, What the fuck? Who are you? just said, I'm you, I'm your hair. Let's get back in there. And I was just like, no, no, this is crazy. And I could hear that soundboard voice uh, keep beckoning me to go back to the restaurant, but I just took the soonest bus that I could back to my apartment. I started to freak out and try to wash the gel out of my hair. 
And then the other voice said, oh, that's just, I got it just how I liked it. What are you doing? I started to freak out and I just started to say, stop it, stop it. And then the other voice said, there's no stopping it. Just relax, just go to sleep, you know, sleep it off. I'll take care of it. You can rest. Still freaking out. Uh, I didn't know what else to do, so I just laid down and took the other voice's advice and just fell asleep. I woke up about 50 hours later in bed once again, wearing a new outfit and a different hairstyle. I actually felt like I got a haircut, you know, that I got a little trim. I started to freak out again, just like, oh no, now what did I do? I was trying to piece it together at the time. But it kind of just seemed like, uh, when I got off that medication, the uh, my hair started to take its own sentience and started to live my life life for me to the point that where my own sentience was becoming secondary in my own body. There's a dead body in my bathtub. It was some dude I've never seen before. His throat was slit, and his blood seemed to be emptied out in a tub. He looked really pale, and his eyes were closed. His limbs rested in a way that no sleeping person would position them. Start, I started to hyperventilate, really freak out. But then the other voice said, don't worry about it, I'll take care of it, go back to sleep. Started to shake a little bit, started to breathe even more. But I heeded the voice's advice and I just went in my bed and went back to sleep. was gone. I never asked the voice about it. At that point, I was scared. I didn't know if this other side with, side of me was my hair or not, but... I knew it couldn't be trusted, and I didn't know what I should do uh, to defy it. already sunk in a form of depression. I end up just doing a lot of sleeping. And from there, my life started, steadily started to change. My wardrobe started to change. 
Bugsy people in my house that I didn't recognize. This other side of me was already living a whole new life and I had no say over it. Any moment I tried to take agency over it to stop seeing a person or to stop this job or whatever. The other voice would say, just go back to sleep, go back to sleep. And I'd always heed, heed, that, uh, heed that word. But then there was one day when I didn't. Now at this point... The other voice was able to control my limbs even when I was awake, even when I was the sentient one in the body. So I was going for a walk and I wanted to steer left. The other voice would take slight control and just keep me going straight. And it would discourage me from doing any actions at all. So the other voice would just take control of me while I was awake and watching. My lips would move and I'd say things that I didn't mean. Do things I don't believe in. And just watch my life go by. That all led to the day when I couldn't take it anymore. It's hard to actually call it a suicidal impulse. If you're trying to kill a part of yourself, does that count as suicide? I didn't think about it too deeply. I didn't think about it at all, really. It was even more impulsive than when I threw all my medication away, but this time it felt like it was something I had to do. and went to the bathroom and then just started to pour it all over my head and I started to scream but it wasn't me doing it it was the other voice screaming through my own throat trying to stop me from bleaching my hair eventually I started to fight with myself started to strangle myself So on an impulse, I grabbed a pair of scissors and tried to cut my hair. I succeeded with a few snips, but... Again, the other voice was trying to control my limbs, so I ended up just, like, stabbing my scalp a lot. Tears and saliva were dripping down my face. As well as the bleach and blood. I couldn't cut my hair then. 
was worried that I was going to bleed out from all the stab wounds on my scalp. So in a manic rush, thinking on an impulse, I ran to my kitchenette and uh, grabbed some lighter fluid and poured it on my head and then set it on fire. So my hair caught on fire and I just kept screaming. I don't know if it was me or the other voice, but for once we were in sync. And we both felt the pain together. So I ran to the bathroom and I started to extinguish the fire with the bathtub water. in a hospital bed. I was confused at first, but then I remembered the night before. Apparently my neighbor uh, heard me scream and uh, smelled the smoke and called someone. was bandaged, mainly around my scalp. The doctor was going to give me, he was giving me information, uh, like it would be bad news, uh, that the burn marks uh, didn't scar too much of my head, didn't get any on my face at all. did say my hair would never grow back again. Still exhausted, I nodded, accepted as the news that it was. I said, okay, thank you, doctor. We chatted a little bit more about uh, the condition and some grafting options. I was alone in the room, the bandages on my head. I took some breaths, trying to relax a bit. And then I turned to look out the window and I saw my own reflection. I saw the bandages on my head. It didn't have the level of detail that you'd find in a mirror. I saw myself, it looked like that I've been through hell. But I was relieved because for the first time in a long time I thought I was seeing me for who I was. This next story is called Slasher Improv.
Oh, I sure do love this lake, don't you? Oh, yeah, I absolutely do. You know, someday I want to... If we decide to get married, I want to do it right here, on, around this lake. By the shore on a boat. I suppose either or. You know, we don't have to decide now. We can decide when we get there. Slasher, and I'm gonna kill you. Swipe, swipe. Alright, cut, cut. Lucy was standing on the stage of the theater. Bob and Carol were laying on the ground, looking confused and disgruntled. Bob turned up and said, Yeah, we were having a. I was trying to get something going with like a nice little lakeside story, you know. Wanted to see where that went. Didn't really go anywhere. And Carol was just like, yeah, Lucy, you really, you know, really cut it short. And Lucy was just like, oh, well, I don't understand. What's up? And Bob and Carol stood up and they just said, all right, so we're doing improv, right? But Lucy, when you kill people in improv, then that kills their character and they can't lead anywhere, you know? The whole point of improv is just like, yes, ending and whatnot, but when you, when you just say, girl, I'm a slasher, and then go swipe, swipe, you know? It's nowhere for our characters to go. And Lucy just thought about it and she just said, well, you know, just if you've ever seen a slasher movie, you can be like zombies or whatever. Or it'd be like that character's twin brother or sister or sibling or something, and then just appear and be all like, oh, I have the same personality and uh, character traits of that other character. You know, whatever. And Carol said to Lucy, Lucy, that's not the point, you know. This is, in, this is a long-form improv workshop. You know, we really want to try to build stories here, you know. I think horror-based improv is really fucking cool, actually. And Bob said, well, yeah, it's, it's fine, I guess, but I mean, you know, you gotta, you gotta build a story, you know? You can't just go off and, like, murder people. Like, there's no real story in that. And Lucy said, well, I disagree. Any story where a shitload of people die is very profound and poetic. You know, think of the uh, slasher movies or whatever, that canon, or moments in history with uh, military battles or genocide or something, you know, has all the profound storytelling there. And Bob said, well, Lucy, you're kind of a, you're kind of a fucking bummer, actually. You know, I don't think we want you yeah, to stick around this workshop. There, I said it. Carol said, Bob, that's a bit harsh. And Bob was just like, no, 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 no. We've all talked about it, you know. Lucy, we just, we, you know. Well, we, 
we'll refund your money or whatever, but, you know, you gotta go. Just, we hope your, uh, horror improv or whatever works out. Lucy nodded solemnly, and she's just like, Okay, fine, um, I guess I'll go then. jacket and started smoking a cigarette when she left the Brody Theater. She sparked it up and inhaled and she was just like, fuck. She wanted, she really wanted to feel like a super cool comedy gal, you know. kept getting ostracized by comedy workshops and comedy communities. No one ever wanted to improvise with her. Because she would always introduce uh, immediate death with her character. And no one else wanted to work with her because they wanted to vote characters. She sat on a bench smoking a cigarette and just thought, yeah, but if you're a good improviser, you can work through that, you know? You could totally be like a zombie. Do you know how many fucking resurrections are in those, you know, bogus slasher movies or whatever? It'd be fucking great. She went to see a stand-up show. It was a stand-up and improv uh, dual sets. She was watching stand-ups from the local scene, and she was just like, oh, fuck, someday I could do something like that. To have that sheer wit, you know? Prof set that she was kicked out of uh, started. And she just thought it was just like the shittiest improv ever. It was some random story about like uh, this guy who didn't know how to tie his shoelaces, so a bunch of people were trying to was trying to help, but the main guy who couldn't tie his shoelaces like just couldn't quite grasp it or figure it out. Toward the end, it just kind of became like a very like wholesome, like Forrest Gumpy thing. And she thought it was fucking brilliant, and she got really pissed off. The audience applauded, and she just fucking bailed. She started to walk home, you know.
binge smoking all along the way, just being like, fuck, why can't, no one else wants me to improvise, why can't I do fucking improv and comedy, I can fucking do it, I can fucking do it better than anyone. So while she was in that pinnacle state of rage, reflecting on her life and her integration into comedy and improv, she was hit by a bus. Apparently this bus was running behind on stops, and the bus driver really didn't want to get fired for continuing to have late stops, and he was down to the wire on that front. That's why I didn't even see Lucy when he ran her over. She was taken to the hospital, and they tried to resuscitate her, but she died there. She didn't make it. They just put a sheet over her. brought her to the morgue installed at the hospital for someone to evaluate her body and undress her and do the autopsy and all that the next morning. But that night, started to stir a little bit. And then Lucy jolted up. Undead. Not quite a zombie, but more like a, a robust supernatural slasher, like from all the other slasher favorites. Her skin was gray. Her eyes were pale. She felt cold, cold and looked over her body. And she just, she just sighed and said, See, it's not that hard, you know? It's not hard to resurrect yourself out of rage, you know? I just improvised. This was an improv show. You can just... Can just revive and whatever. And she thought about it and she was just like, wait, life is an improv show. This is perfect. Now I can show everyone how improv is truly done. jacket on and she grabbed a scalpel from the morgue and then left she kind of walked with a limp at first because she wasn't used to you know being undead and all that but she got the hang of it
outside the hospital in the parking lot. She saw uh, a guy park a really uh, snazzy motorcycle. He walked off with it. She hopped on and she was like, hey, do you have the keys of this thing? And the dude was just like, get the fuck out of here, it's my bike. And Lucy said, nuh-uh, it's mine now. And the dude was just like, get the fuck out of here. Just not in an aggressive way, just being really just like confused and just like, you know, lady, what are you doing? now with uh, seeing life as an improv show and using rage to fuel her performance just use her scalpel and then just like slice the dude in the neck and he fell over and she bent down and grabbed his keys started the bike and then she shouted the show must go on she rode with the, she rode with the motorcycle toward the Brody Theater. She saw that it was empty because the shows were over and the club was closed. It was about 2 a.m. at this point, but she knew that her uh, old improv troupe would. Uh, she knew where they partied. at Carol's apartment, uh, just a few blocks down. was correct. Uh, in Carol's apartment, they were having a party. And as comedians, they all just like partied really late at night, staying up super late. It seemed like the party died down, but there's certainly enough people awake, you know, just chatting about whatever. Lucy saw them from outside, and she was just like, I'm going to show them how improv is done. through the window, up the fire escape. No one seemed to, no one seemed to notice her climb up. She had her scalpel ready. Apparently she broke into Damien's room. Damien was Carol's, uh, apartment mate. He was a local stand-up comedian. 
Anthony just walked in, brushing his teeth, getting ready for bed after a long night. So with, with his toothbrush in his mouth, he just shouted, what the fuck? But it was all like muffled and whatnot. Without, without hesitating, you know, Lucy just like sliced and diced him, cut him several times on the chest and he fell down, starting to bleed out. Before he could scream, Lucy grabbed a towel and then shoved it in his mouth. He was too weak to really struggle. And Lucy also had stupid superhuman strength, because she was a slasher now. And she looked at the wall and saw all these really cool knives. Some, was, some were old knives and swords from previous wars and whatnot. And Lucy was just like, oh shit, we have some really fucking cool knives here. Damien tried to scream, but the towel was caught in his mouth. And Lucy was just all like, so which knife do you want to die with, you know? Japanese officer World War II dagger. It's your collection. It's your choice. Again, Damien tried to struggle and tried to get out. And Lucy looked over to a to a plate of a discarded meal and saw that a very large kitchen knife was resting on it. Like he was cutting bread or something. Lucy picked it up and was just all like, Well, we might as well stick with the classics. And then Lucy just stabbed him to death there. Not even being loud about it. Meanwhile, Lucy could hear the other people at the party as it was dying down. At this point, it was just Bob and Carol that were awake. She recognized their voices. As she crept into the living room, she could hear promiscuous sex sounds, both from Bob and Carol, uh, cuddling up on the couch. Lucy thought, oh, this is just too perfect. Some other people were awake in the kitchen, but Bob and Carol were alone in the living room. Lucy loomed over them. Carol and Bob turned and were just like, oh shit, Lucy? And they were just like, what the fuck are you doing here? And Lucy just said, I don't know, I'm improvising. 
Lucy just drew the knife down and stabbed them both to death in a very gruesome, delightful slasher style. And then Lucy just watched him bleed out. And she was just like, oh yeah, I guess it does cut their character short. So Lucy went after them too. There are only like four other people left awake from the after party from the comedy show. But Lucy slaughtered each of each one of them. So Lucy left the apartment, blood on her hands and her jacket and her hair and all that. All over her, really. She had Damien's knife collection rolled up in a blanket, all in her sheets. And she hopped on her motorcycle, and far in the distance, she could see the sun was slowly rising. she started the ignition to the motorcycle and then started to head to the sunrise she just thought to herself well the show must go on okay this last story is wet for ghosts be able to tell for sure unless you tried it for yourself. But performing a seance and masturbating at the same time was very difficult. But it was the only way Lindsay could get off. 
had a very firm belief in ghosts. Ever since she was a kid, she always found paranormal fiction really erotic. She was the only one that she knew that could get turned on at a funeral. presences and whatnot. But the idea of ghosts and the undead were enough to totally get her off. Sure, she had lovers and had an active uh, sex and kink life. But when she was alone with a ghostly presence... Nothing made her climax harder. So a couple times a month, when she had the means for it, she'd perform a seance and, you know, jerk off to it. And it made her feel ecstatic, but... She thought to herself, I can... I can make this better. I can... Make this a stronger peak, if you will. Luckily for her, uh, the sex toy shop was right next door to the uh, occultist uh, bookstore. And often when she'd visit one, she'd visit the other. The owners knew each other and they were totally cool. good about the owners of these two shops being in touch was that they would have recommendations for each other. The sex, uh, t the sex toy owner, the sex toy shop owner would recommend some occultist things that were sexy to the occultist bookstore owner. Cultist bookstore owner would recommend uh, sex toys that were spooky to the sex shop owner. And this made these two locations the prime place for Lindsay to get her supplies. Whether she was having sexual play by herself or with a partner. But on this particular visit, She tried to, she wanted to do something special. She wanted to do like some kind of seance or something, but she really wanted to come harder, uh, hardest that she ever has before, to be frank.
So she was in the occultist store and uh, getting some supplies for her seance. And she was looking through Ouija boards. Not through the newer ones that she had, but some used ones. To her, used Ouija boards were a lot more potent. If you know what I'm saying. And she was going through them and then went to the back room and looked at some books and whatnot. But then far in the back, uh, between a book of William Blake plates and a uh, metaphysical interpretation of the Kabbalah, Rustic Ouija board. It was made of wood. The numbers and letters were hand painted. But they looked very well designed and well placed on it. It was written in a script and uh, with an enthusiasm and passion for calligraphy that you don't see anymore. So Lindsay went to the register and was going to buy the uh, couple of books and the Ouija board. And then the owner said, oh, I don't think I can sell this Ouija board. And Lindsay said, why not? And the owner said, well, the one thing is this Ouija board is about 130 years old. So I, it's hard for me to part with it on that front. thing about it is, uh, supposedly, all the other previous owners, uh, died using it. Either they died when they were in use of it, or they died the next time they had sex. And Lindsay said, oh my god, please, can I have this Ouija board? Look, like, I don't, I know you don't want to, like, part with it or whatever, but, like, I will put it to good use, trust me took a bit of convincing, but eventually the owner was just like, okay, I'll sell it to you. Sure. What are you, wet for ghosts or something? And Lindsay said, haha, more than you know. Something that uh, it was one that uh, Buddy Holly used to use 
presumably, allegedly. Not that she was trying to channel Buddy Holly or anything, but, you know, she liked old things and had an appreciation for them. So, Lindsay was just, uh, also prepping sexually as well, you know? She got nude except for some stockings and a hat she liked to wear and some gloves. some candles, uh, set up some oils and sage, and uh, begun the, began the seance. She would deviate between uh, touching herself and also using the Ouija board. She would try to ask questions like, is anyone here? Are you with us? Are you with me? Etc. Are you watching? You know, it was also that voyeur element also really turned her on. She was feeling the rhythm of the night, feeling the spirit. And she felt her hands steadily glide across the Ouija board. And it really started to turn her on and make her touch herself more. And then the Ouija board just started to spell out uh, S-E-X for sex. repeatedly and le needless to say uh, Lindsay climaxed the most profoundly she ever had in her life and also needless to say she uh, slept really well that night thought to herself, oh, fuck, how am I going to top that? And she had a date at the end of that week with uh, a lover of hers uh, named Daryl. They mostly did, like, kink stuff and whatnot. 
they've had plenty of uh, sexual play in their relationship. And on the night they met, when they had their date, they were, you know, doing it. And she was just like, oh, it's not even close to any of those seance se sessions that I had. something felt off when she was with Daryl. She started to feel a ghostly presence in the way that she would with the seance. The wind from outside uh, was howling. They had candles lit in the room and they blew out. thrusting upon her Lindsay was just like tried to mutter wait wait but it only came out as a breath and the air became extremely cold and she could see her own breath she felt something was wrong she was losing feeling in her body if she didn't know any better her heart was stopping Daryl was thrusting upon her. Uh, Lindsay died that night. She manifested as a uh, as an apparition in the room. And she had to watch Daryl discover her dead body and grieve and try to resuscitate her and call 911 in an ambulance and try to save her. Lindsay watching from that room knew it was too late. Eventually, Daryl brought the body downstairs. Lindsay just didn't have any insight to the situation anymore. Her body was gone, her vessel was gone. She knew what happened. She knew that this day would come at some point. And she was ready for it as anyone could be. An older woman, probably in her 40s. She looked like she was dressed from, uh, like the 1830s United States. She was clutching her necklace and looking at Lindsay. on the Ouija board and the woman nodded uh, slowly hesitantly and the woman shook her head 
bed and she's just like, I'm sorry, it's, it happens every time. Every time I fall for someone who uses the Ouija board, I get too close to them. And they pass on to the other side just as you have. You have. Lindsay nodded. Relieved that at least it wasn't due to malicious intent. It was just part of the physics of humans interacting with the other side. Arguably in ways they perhaps shouldn't have. Or gotten too invested in. Whatever your interpretation is, is your own. walked up to this woman and she was just like do you want to have really cool crazy goat se ghost sex and the older woman said really are you sure and then Lindsay said yes there's nothing that I want more than wild crazy ghost sex ghost sex Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Carezzi. Hope you enjoyed tonight's evening entertainment. And as the spook vortex closes, I'm going to bid you good night.